You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Thank you. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show, which I have all, I take all the blame in the world for uh, running late this morning a little bit, but we made it and uh, we've got... James uh, Dunce on the telephone with us, and James has a special guest today. And James, at that point, I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you introduce your guest, and we'll get going on the Classic Car Show. Sure, I'd like to introduce Rick Bethel. Rick and I uh, uh, both had the opportunity to work for a Central Florida businessman, a very wealthy individual, and he had a uh, complete car collection. And uh, both Rick and I were heavily in, uh, involved in uh, classic car restoration. Me years ago, Rick actually is more recent. But uh, he's an excellent uh, restorer. I've seen many of his cars, and they're outstanding. Are you there, Rick? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> James? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> yes. Good morning. Uh, well, yeah. uh, is Dave still like there? To talk about? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Okay, Dave. You know, I, I wanted to... One of the cars that we worked on uh, with, with this company, uh, it was called a Hanson, and it was actually uh, uh, one of the only cars where the headquarters was in the South. A guy by the name of, of George Hanson and and Don Ferguson, they started this company back in, uh, in 1917. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to produce a car that uh, was inexpensive and for Southerners. And their slogan was uh, tested improved in the South, along with made in Dixie. But in reality, it was not made in Dixie. It was actually made in Detroit. And there were roughly 1,800 of these made. But of the 1,800, there's only two of them left. Uh, that we're aware of. One of them used to be in the museum in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and uh, I, I've heard that that is long gone. But the other one was here in Central Florida back in the early 1980s. Uh, I actually put together a team of uh, uh, people. We restored uh, a 1919 Hansen, the one that we had here. And uh, when we completed that car, we actually took it out to uh, Cypress Gardens, and it got best in show. Uh, which was a real honor, and not, and it got a national first place. And uh, after that, it got another three national first places, if I remember right. Uh, four is the maximum number you get. And then it was nominated for the AACA Cup, and it actually won that in 1983. So it's, it was a real, real honor to be involved with that car. And uh, Rick is actually in that possession of that car today, and he can tell you what's going on with it. Yes, actually, uh, we're in we're in negotiations with the Hanson family to try to sell this car back to them, and uh, they haven't said exactly if they want to put it in a museum or if they're in Stone Mountain. They still live in the Atlanta area, but they would like to buy the car. So uh, we're talking to them about buying the car and getting it to them, showing them how it drives and starts, and 
it's it, we still drive it every six months down here in Florida. We'll I'll start it up and drive it, you know, around the compound here and and down the street, and it, it's still a really nice car. And back when this car was done, it was still lacquer, and it it looks like uh, brand new the day it was done. It's, it's been kept in an air conditioned building since. But you you were telling me, Rick, about some of the things that happened because the car was in storage for a number of five about five years, I guess. And you were yes. telling me different things that happened to that car during well, that period of time. Yeah, just the old gasoline and and the new gasoline, especially with the ethanol in it, uh, just. Uh, tears up the fuel line, the gas tanks, uh, the rubber diaphragms in the fuel pumps, the carburetors. So uh, on that car, like, completely took it all apart, and uh, the fuel system, that is, and cleaned it out. And now I use airplane fuel. I put five gallons of airplane fuel in them, start them up and run them, and that seems to have cured the problem. Well, the ethanol is highly corrosive and does a lot of damage. Uh, the company I work for now, Bell Performance, they actually manufacture a product called Ethanol Defense. It actually prevents that. And uh, we have a lot of classic car people that uh, purchase that product, and they use it in their in their vehicles with great success. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned fuel issues. Uh, a number of years ago, I worked for AAA, and I was a media spokesman for the Glidden Tour. And I would ride with these uh, different uh, drivers, and uh, we were in charge of taking care of any breakdowns. And we had a we had a flatbed that was about five miles back, but I would say seventy five percent of the breakdown problems were related to fuel, and about twenty percent of them were related to electrical issues. But fuel was a big issue because of this ethanol problem. Yeah, and I'm sure it still is today on those tours. So, uh, Dave, did you ever see that Hanson? It's spelled H A N S O N at the museum. No, I did not. No. No. Well, you know, you know what amazed me about these uh, working with these old cars is I couldn't believe when I heard the number of vehicles that were manufacturers that were in business it, from 1900 until now. And it was 2,742, and that's almost unbelievable. But at uh, Silver Springs down here in Florida, if you ever go to that museum, uh, there's a there's a, a chart on the wall and this all 2,742 now there may be more by now but uh, that number was unbelievable uh, back then everybody uh, got involved in building cars they purchased the continental drivetrain and they built a body and they put their name on it maybe only, they only built 20 30 40 of them and uh, then they were out of business but it amazed me how many uh, of those manufacturers were here yeah, and this Hanson, you could put that alongside a Cadillac from that same era, and, and the quality that was in, built in that Hanson is the same as you would have got from the Cadillac. That's how nice they were made. And I think they were, James, if I, if I remember correctly, about $1,850 new, which was quite a bit of money in nineteen. Well, then what, what happened was after the war ended, uh, after the First World War ended, uh, when they went into production, they had to reduce the price of the car. They actually reduced it down to $995. They built what they called a little, a little six. It was a shorter wheelbase. Uh, the 1919 has 119-inch wheelbase, and the little six actually had a 112-inch wheelbase. And they built that car so it was a little bit cheaper. 
And it was $995. But back then, $995 was a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they went on with this company until 1925, and they dissolved the company at that point. But it was interesting. Uh, George Hansen, he went on after that. He went on to manufacture baby bottles, nursing bottles, uh, in Atlanta, and then became an insurance agent. He died in 1940 at the age of 65. But uh, tell us, tell us about uh, you're, you're working with a. I think you said a Jeep at this point. You're restoring. Yeah, 1950 Willie's Jeepster. Uh, you know, they had the the uh, small four cylinder in them. They're uh, people like them. They're you can put down down here in Florida. Of course, you can put down the top and ride around in them. And uh, four wheel drum brakes. Uh, very simple car, uh, but well built. And uh, other than that, I'm I'm still. I have a uh, a 1940 LaSalle two-door coupe that that's pretty rare that just got finished and probably be taking that car to amelia island in the next year mm-hmm. and besides now that now besides that though we're, we are working on something modern a 67 camaro if you could believe i'd ever work on something that modern <laughs> <laughs> but uh the, the, you mentioned LaSalle. Uh, wasn't yeah. uh, wasn't this guy one of the largest collectors of LaSalle's in the country? Actually, if I remember, yeah, he actually almost had one of everything. He had from uh, Cadillac and LaSalle. He had from like nineteen nineteen seven to to nineteen fifty three. One of each. One of each. And I, and I know when I was there, we we were doing a uh, thirty two LaSalle convertible coupe, and I, I left the company before that car was finished. And, but uh, I'm sure that was that was a beautiful car. Yes, and that was a national first place winner, also. Uh-huh. But you know, you you mentioned uh, 1906 or 1909. He had a 1906 Cadillac, and right. um, did he ever finish that, or did they ever finish yes, that? Yes, yes, it was it was finished. It was finished and sold. So uh, you know, at one point he was gonna actually make a car museum and didn't so after uh, so many years of setting we sold quite a few off well you know you mentioned museum we actually built he had a property in central florida and we actually built a personal museum where he had all of his cars at that time and it was it was quite a neat thing but it wasn't open to the public but it was an amazing museum uh to look at that Yes, I had a chance to go in that just a few times with him. <laughs> he was very private about his cars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, he didn't want anyone else to uh, to go in there and look at those. But uh, it, was, it was quite the museum. Yes. So uh, so actually, I'm doing the same thing that, I, that I've been doing here for the last 45 years, uh, <laughs> restoring antique cars, except one new one. So where did you where did you get your uh, training? How did you get involved in that? Actually, when I was uh, just starting high school, I went to a trade school in in New Jersey, and uh, I went there for 
three years, and uh, as I was gone to school, I actually worked in a, a local uh, restoration shop up there, and that's that's how I got into the restoration business instead of just the body business and, you know, the regular body shops. So what was the first vehicle you ever restored? Uh, boy, now I have to go way back. Probably a 31 Model A, two-door Phaeton, which there was probably 50 of them made. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them were even, even right-hand steer. They made them for uh, some of the other countries, and they had them right-hand steer, so some of the guys actually would get them and switch them over. But, uh, yeah, there was not not many people have ever seen a 31 Model A two-door Fayette. So were you ever involved in any restoration of Model Ts? No, no Model Ts. No Model Ts. I have, I have driven a few Model Ts, and it takes both feet and both hands <laughs> real quick. <laughs> a lot of coordination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, if the brakes if the brakes don't work, something will stop you. <laughs> well, I, I, w- I actually purchased uh, a uh, Model T. It was supposed to be in 1918. And it was, it was, the thing was stuffed in a garage over on, on the coast here in Florida. And, uh, when, when I, after I purchased it, I started examining all the parts. And it had the, uh, it had the steering wheel of a, or, or a column of a 14. It had the headlights of a, uh, a, there were four headlights of a 15. And it had an engine and transmission of a 1926. It was made up of like six different years. James, uh, I, I, James, I think you lost your clock like I lost my clock. We're going to have to take a break. Uh, we're a little over. Uh, so we're going to come back to James Dunson, his uh, guest, talking about restoration. I've got a question for Mr. Restoration when we come back. You're listening to America's Web Radio. We'll be back very shortly. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. And welcome back to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. And we have Mr. Dunce on the line and his very special guest, and we're talking restoration. As I, if I may ask Mr. Restoration, um, question right quick. I've always been curious about what is the most difficult part about restoration. And in my peanut brain, I always thought that it had to be the paint job both exterior and interior because uh, back in many years ago the 
interior wasn't uh, all the fancy stuff it is today, obviously. So uh, what is the the toughest part of restoration? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go away from the paint and say that the, uh, the, the metal work, the fabrication, and the body work is the hardest part because it, it all needs to be just absolutely perfect. Uh, a lot of things are covered up by paint, and to, to not know what's underneath your paint is uh, not even how to put it as far as uh, just the restoration body work, fabrication work, all the metal work and all that goes into that needs to be just 100% perfect before you put the paint on. Uh, the paint, the paint, the painting is a lot of it, and and of course I still use a I use an acrylic urethane these days for the last probably twenty five years, and most people are doing them in urethane, but uh, I would say the body work. Hmm. And most of these people that that excuse me, most of these people that have some of these cars today want them black. And they have to be just absolutely perfect in, in every angle you can look at them. Wow. So uh, I know that uh, the last car I did, I probably had 400 labor hours in the bodywork. And it was perfect. It was perfect. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely perfect. But uh, that's how long it took. You know, of course, it's hard to say when you start how long it's going to take. It's just, it's uh, basically today time and material and a lot of time and a, and a lot of money. Hmm. James, back to you. Well, I was, I was talking about the Model T that I purchased. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and I learned a lot by doing that. And uh, what I decided, you know, it was made up of like six different years. And I decided I want to make this uh, a 1917, which is the first iron T. Uh, and so I started selling parts and, and uh, purchasing other parts, and I found an engine block out there at the Cypress Garden show that was a late 16, which was a, a 17, and, and then through Hemmings and, and going to uh, Carlisle and Hershey, I ended up with all the pieces that I need to do that uh, uh, 1917. And I was down to, I see on a 17T, they had a serrated horn button, and that's the only thing that I didn't have, and I happened to be at Carlisle, and I was leaving the, the uh, show, and there was a table set up, and I looked on the table, and there it was. And I asked the guy how much. He could have told me $100. I still would have bought it. Because <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was the last item that I needed, of course. He didn't know that. But what amazed me about those tees is any part that you wanted, you could find. And a lot of those parts are, are manufactured to this day. And you can uh, find all that stuff still today. And you were talking about the metal work. Um, there was a company called Rootlib out there in California. I don't know if they're still there, but uh, I ended up replacing and purchasing all the new fenders and running boards and so forth because those tees were so, the metal was thin, and it would have been hard to get those perfect like what you said. So I just bought new stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, hard to believe how many parts they did make in surplus back then that, that you can still get today. Well, I, I was reading that, that in some countries like India and South America, some of these cars are still on the road. And yeah. so there is there is a demand. And I heard a number, correct me if I'm wrong, that there's about 50,000 Model T's still on the road in America. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, that's probably right. 
Yeah, and that makes it very hard in judging because there's so many people that think they're experts on teas. Right. But the other thing that amazed me about that car is the crudeness of the engine. I rebuilt the engine on it, had it bored out, and I, I, there's a lot of little accessories. They had an oil splash system, and they had these cups that you would bolt onto the bottom of the connecting rods that would grab the oil. There were a lot of things that you can buy now uh, that were not available back then, even adjustable uh, lifters, where you could, so you didn't have to grind off the lifter or off the valve to try to get the proper clearance. Yeah, yeah, they they did say, sell a lot of extra. Even the even the starter, I think, was extra, wasn't it? Well, mine mine had a crank, right? Yeah, I think uh, you could buy a starter for it. Uh, but it, I think I think the starter, electric starter, first started in 1918. Is that okay? And the the engine block that I had and housing would not have taken a starter. Well, I ended up selling the car. I went into an auto repair business, and I needed the money for that. So I ended up selling the car before it was complete. But uh, it was a lot of fun doing it, and I was amazed at how crude they were. But they went a lot of different miles, and a lot of the parts were interchangeable, and that's why my car was made up of six different years. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of those ones on the road today are made up with all different parts, too. Uh-huh. And the other thing that amazed me is in, in looking for parts, not only for the T, but in other cars that we were working on, you know, with that company, is that the parts are out there. Somewhere in this country, there's parts. Now, the Hanson was a little different. Uh, I ran ads in Hemmings, and I looked at, I went to Hershey a couple of times just to see what I could find on the Hanson. I never did find anything other than gasket set, which was a common set because it was for a Continental engine, which there were plenty of those. Right. Wow. But tell, tell us about some of the other uh, cars that you restored. Oh, wow. I'm <laughs> going back all these years. Uh, of course, everything, everything here is, has always been uh, frame-offs complete frame-off restoration. So, you know, the bodies are, the interiors are taken apart, uh, All everything, all the chromes uh, taken off and sent out. And, of course, that's a very high expense today. Uh, the, body's, the body's taken down, and it's, uh, we, we dip them all. We don't uh, soda blast them or bead blast them or anything like that. We still dip them. Uh the frame and suspension and all that's done, and of course, of course, the engine's done. Uh, that forty LaSalle that that I just did and got done, believe it or not, there's uh, still a lot of LaSalle parts out there for that. Uh, the engine was a a flathead uh, V8, and, and that was the motor that uh, we used in our tanks in World War II. So, believe it or not, there's still millions of those motors setting in Cosmoline in crates that you can buy today. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they made so many, you know, during the war that they're still out there. That's amazing. Actually, the motor that we had, we, we did buy a new block because uh, we, we tried to bore it out and sleeve it, a couple of the cylinders, and uh, it just didn't, just didn't look good. So we did buy a brand-new block for that car. And... Uh, it was brand new. <laughs> um, but I've always been amazed that, and I used to run around the company and pick up parts for this gentleman that we worked for. 
And it always amazed me, the stuff that was stuffed away in barns and, and sheds mm-hmm. in different parts of the country. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I was picking up parts one time in uh, uh, Memphis, and I'm in the barn picking up these parts, and I look over, and there's a whole bunch of uh, junk piled on top of a car. It was a touring car. And I found out that it was a 1917 uh, Fiat uh, touring car. And at that time, they were manufactured here in the U.S. But here, this car was sitting there. They, they wouldn't sell it because the, the ladies that owned it, it belonged to their father. But there's so many of these cars that are still out there. Yeah, you would think and, yeah and parts. <laughs> and parts. Yeah. Actually, the... the 67 Camaro that I'm doing. It's a, it's a two-door hardtop. And uh, you can still get everything for that new old stock. Now, they sell aftermarket parts, you know, made here. But you can still buy every everything new old stock for that car if you look hard enough. All right. So how, how far are you away from completing that car? Uh, the body's ready to be painted. Uh I had to do a, uh, of course, this is this is more, a, it's going to look like a 67 Camaro, but actually it's a pro street model. Uh, 383 stroker engine, uh, 900 horsepower. It's for the owner, of course. So uh, <laughs> it's going to look like a 67 Camaro on the outside and the inside, except for the custom leather interior and, and stuff like that. Uh, the dashboard will look 67. Uh, it's it's probably it's probably a year away. <laughs> well, you mentioned for the owner, just uh, for the listeners, uh, the gentleman that uh, you and I worked for in the past. He passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, another gentleman purchased the company with the the cars, and you ended up working for them. Yes, in. Uh, for me, it's basically the same thing as far as running the antique shop and, and doing the work. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's the car lover of of all cars, and uh, the sh- we're still doing the same thing here. <laughs> and of course, not for the public, just for him. Uh huh. And I, and I did see a TV program a while back, American Pickers, I think it was called, where they came to your location. They and, did. Uh, they did. Purchase a whole bunch of parts. We're going to be coming up on on a hard break here in, in, in just a short, like thirty seconds, so just to clue you in. But it was interesting to watch that show because some of the items that they were picking out, I remember them. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting what they buy and what they don't buy after right. after after seeing them come out and look at everything. <laughs> And they never did get to meet the owner. They just kept referring him to Mr. B. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Anyway, we're at a hard break right now, and uh, we'll okay. be back in just a short time. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. 
just talking to you about antique car insurance, I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask Rick. Uh, he had mentioned that the Hanson family was trying to uh, get the funds together to purchase this car to put it back in the museum. And I was wondering, is there any kind of an effort, is it online or anywhere, where they're trying to raise this money? Not at this time, but uh, the the. The grandmother is, uh, I think, 104 years old, and all of the family's trying to buy it for her. So, she probably wants to drive it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably does. Uh, probably still remembers how to drive it and start it better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's they're trying to they're trying to get the money together through the family, and uh, of course, I don't know their finances, but. Uh, there might come a time, yeah, we might need to uh, uh, run some kind of a GoFundMe account for her. <laughs> well, the fact that they want to put this thing where the public can see it, I think that's a great. I think yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe there is somebody that can help her out. That's for sure. I'd love to see the car go back to the family and uh, just not end up, you know down here in some museum where no one knows anything about it at all. Uh, I wanted to ask you another question. You know, I'm, uh, Dave asked you about, you know, what is the toughest part about the restoration. When you get into the mechanical stuff, what what causes you the biggest problems there? I mean, where do you see the most uh, uh, damage or, or degradation in materials? What is the toughest in the mechanical side? Right right now, in this day and age, it's the machine shop work that you need to get done. Uh, most of all the older fellows that, that did this kind of work are, you know, they're dying off. And uh, we're all a dying breed at this time. <laughs> and um, a lot of the machine shops locally here in Florida have closed up. So if uh, most of all the blocks need done... Uh, the cylinders need cleaned, and uh, the block needs to be uh, checked for cracks and stuff like that. Uh, and then to turn the cranks and stuff like that. Uh, the machine work seems to be the hardest. You can still get most of all the parts fairly easy. Uh, you can buy complete engine kits for most of all those motors. Uh, but the machine work seems to be the toughest right now. Uh and also, you were talking about the fuel system, the damage of the fuel system. Uh, when you have a tank, when you, when you have a tank that, and I know back when we first restored that Hanson, uh, I think we used some kind of a slosh that you put inside the tank to seal 
uh, any rust that was in there. Uh, when you have a tank that's rusted like that, what do you do? How do you re- how do you fix that? Well, that that tank had uh, was coated with what they call red coat, and uh, the only thing that was wrong with that tank is the gas sort of gelled, and it had to be taken out of the car and cleaned out. But the but the inside coating on the tank that was put in at the time of restoration was still good. Wow. Uh, all the lines were taken off because they were uh, on that car there. All the gas lines are made of brass. So they were taken off and, and just cleaned out like with carburetor cleaner because mm-hmm. they were all gelled up, gooed up uh, all the way to the carburetor from the, you know, the, the canister fuel pump to, uh, to the carburetor itself. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned on that canister fuel pump, I remember them being under the lid, that the diaphragms were bad. Where do you get something like that? Uh, <laughs> there's there's a few companies you can send them out and have them made uh, or make them yourself. And, and today it's come down to, if you want one, just make it yourself. You can, you can get the rubber to make those diaphragms, and uh, they're just made in-house. Wow. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's there's actually, you know, if you don't have a, we're uh, we're fortunate enough to have uh, a couple lathes and a CNC machine, and today you have to make a lot of parts that you can't get for those old cars. There's, you know. Right. Do you have a CNC machine there yeah. in your shop? Yes, yes. So, so we can make stuff. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you another question. On the wooden spoke wheels, mm-hmm. uh, I know... I know back when I was doing the tea, uh, there was a company up in uh, Pennsylvania called Calamar Wheel Shop where they used to make the uh, wooden wheels. Where do you get that stuff made now? Is there anyone that still does that? Yes, there. there's still the, the Amish up there in Pennsylvania still do, do wooden wheels. Uh, and that, that craft has gone by the wayside. So uh, anybody that has wooden wheels on the old Cadillacs too, uh, <laughs> if you need a set, I don't know if you remember the the 14 Cadillac that uh, we had had wheels mm-hmm. made for it, brand new wheels made for it, and, uh, and and I think those were done by the Calamar Wheel Shop in yeah in yeah. Pennsylvania. I actually went there one time. It's kind of an interesting story because uh, there was an old guy named Calamar, and he had a son that went off to college for microbiology. And when he got back, I guess there weren't a whole lot of jobs in Pennsylvania for a microbiologist. So he ended up making wheels. And, and he, he was the uh, gentleman that actually made the uh, wheels for my Model P. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't even know what they'd cost today. <laughs> well, it, wasn't, it was in, in the early 80s when I had that done. If I remember right, it wasn't that expensive then. Of course, then and today's dollars are a whole lot different. But um, they, they they did a really good job. And I read all these horror stories about wheel collapses. Uh, and that's the reason I decided to have the wheels re, uh, redone mm-hmm. because I didn't want to ha- I didn't want to have a wheel collapse on me with a spoke broke. Yeah. And I know uh, I know talking about those Cadillacs uh, that fourteen Cadillac that was that was redone here. Uh, I don't know if you knew it, but uh, the owner had uh, new heads manufactured for that Cadillac. 
that was a weak spot in that engine where heads would crack. And uh, he had uh, he had new heads made, and after that he advertised that he would make heads for just cost for anybody in the uh, LaSalle Cadillac Club that, that had a 14 Cadillac that needed them. And I remember we prob- that. We probably sold, oh, a uh, hundred heads, maybe more. Mm-hmm. I remember. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, people were ordering them like crazy, even if at the time they didn't need them. <laughs> and now, and, of course, and that, they're probably on the Cadillacs. That car that you're talking about, that 14 Cadillac, I was heavily involved in that. And that's the car. He went on that tour that was Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon with that. Yes. And, and I guess it did pretty good on that trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, you did some other cars. Um, you, you did a Pierce Arrow that I remember seeing that was really beautiful. We don't want yes. to know about the face of it, but that car was absolutely gorgeous. Yes, that was uh, that was a '26 Pierce Arrow, and that was the uh, the Series 80. It was the two door convertible. It was uh, yeah, absolutely gorgeous, and uh, we made that to win Amelia Island and Pebble Beach, and of course uh, we got it done. We we put uh, we put about four years of restoration work in that, and a lot of money, and and. Uh, Went to Amelia Island and, and everywhere else and got second place. And <laughs> it was disheartening to put uh, that type of work in and, and come up with a second place. And that's when we stopped going to uh, most of those shows. Well, I, I, I used to uh, run a contest for auto repair. And yeah. I, had this t- I had this T-shirt. It said, second place is the first loser. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That's what we were, you know, and and it was it was funny. I I knew a a, a lot of the uh, the judges, you know, that judge some of these uh, shows. Not of course not in Amelia, and uh, I'd have them come by the shop and put the car up on the lift and look it over with a fine tooth tooth comb, you know, for hours, <laughs> and they couldn't find anything wrong with it. And that's it was like, wow, this, we got a good one, you know, <laughs> and you and you take it there and. Uh, it was so funny, you know, the judge takes one of those little mirrors out of his pocket that, that pulls out, you know, like the magnets do, and sticks it down behind the engine block. And I go, what are you looking for? He goes, fingerprint. I go, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so that's how, picky they, that's how picky they got in the end, you know, where uh, every cotter pin had to be facing the same way and turned the same way. So, uh, And, you know, the cars weren't like that when they came off the assembly line. Right. So, but they have to have to have some way to differentiate one from the other. They do. They do. Yeah. And you're, you're looking at 95 to 100 point cars. It's, uh, it's they're really picky. <laughs> and you know, speaking about 100 point cars, I used to read that uh, the majority of the money spent on the cars to get the last five points. Is that true? Actually, uh, I could I could tell you. I'm not going to tell you his name, uh, but I can tell you a fellow friend of mine that still restores cars uh, did a 1929 Duesenberg and of course uh, they went and found the best one they could find for sale and this was a 95 point car in a museum out in Las Vegas and uh, they brought it back to Central Florida and completely tore it apart and 
redid it to get those other five points, and they spent another $5 million on the car getting those oh my five goodness. points. They took it to Pebble Beach and won Best of Show. They took it to Amelia Island and won Best of Show, and the owner sold it right away, and, and he doubled his money, matter of fact, uh, which is unusual in the car business. And, well, you know, mentioning Duesenberg, uh, uh, whenever I mention Duesenberg, the first thing people think of is that they were made in Germany because it sounds like yeah. a German name. And, you know, actually they were made up in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. which, is, which is another thing that, that uh, surprised me. But, you know, when I used to do the Glidden tour when I was a spokesman, there was a lady, she was a little short lady, and she had this big old Duesenberg. She beat out Jay Leno for it in an auction. And she'd be driving down the road, and you could just see her hair above the side of the window. And I'll mm-hmm. never forget. And I, I know Dave knows who this is. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're coming up against another hard break here. Uh, but it, it's interesting. I forget how many vehicles I was involved with over the years until you start talking about. Yeah, yeah. There was there was a lot of a lot of vehicles that went through here. And after the break, I'm I'm going to ask you about another one uh, that I remember, and I would be surprised if that one was uh, completely restored. Oh, okay. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Hi, I'm Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, talking to you about antique car insurance. Uh, in this hobby uh, that I've been part of for years, not all insurance companies and insurance coverage is the same. I would suggest that you call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com to find out some information about some of the best antique car insurance you can get, such as agreed value. Uh, insurance for your classic car. Again, if you're when you get ready to to uh, insure your classic classic antique or even your street ride, call J C Taylor Insurance or visit jctaylor.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. I, w- I wanted to ask Rick about another vehicle that I remember from the. Our shop there. It was a 1933 Rolls Royce, and um, th- this car. Uh, I couldn't believe that there would be that many pieces and parts underneath the skin of that car. It would almost be, in my mind, I would have to think that that car would have had to come with a mechanic uh, just to keep it running. Tell, tell me, whatever happened to that? Car? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Actually, we did. We did sell that car as is. You know, and it was it was halfway completed. Uh, uh, the body was all together. The upholstery was done. The engine was in it. Uh, there was still uh, the dashboard was not in it or finished, and there was still a lot of little stuff to do. So we we sold that as a project for someone else. 
Well, there were, there were a number of different people involved in that. I know we had personnel changes. I had some uh, guys that changed it there in the restoration shop. And it, it's difficult when you have a car like, you know how it is. when you If you've not taken something apart, it's very difficult to remember how and, and be able to put it back together. I always it hated is. that one when somebody else would take it apart. Right. And and you and, can't really, you can't wait a couple of years to put it back together either. No. And then there were different people involved. And I, I was wondering if we could ever find all the parts for it because they were right. all over the shop. And they were. Yeah. And to recognize them as parts for that car. Right. But uh, right. that car was also, uh, there was a book, uh, those famous Rolls Royces or something like that. And that car was actually pictured in that book. Is that right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. But I don't know if I don't know if you remember that uh, remember we actually took some cars out to uh Universal and Disney Studios for some movies at some time. Were you ever involved in those? No, that must have been after I left. Oh, okay. Okay. You know how they do the old movies and they need cars sitting up and down the streets and uh they need a lot of old cars of course for those movies, so they would call, and, and we'd take some out. And <laughs> what, what, what's amazing, when you see these movies where they have the old cars, they're all in excellent shape. You know, right. I remember when I was a kid, the cars weren't in excellent shape. A lot of them were rusted. And, and, Not uh, at all. Not yeah, at all. Now, now you see all these beautiful cars. But uh, there was another one I want to ask you about. It was the 1912 Cadillac. And, yeah. Uh, I remember prepping that for the show, and that had so much nickel on it. One of the biggest jobs was trying to keep all that nickel polished. Keep shining, yes. You needed one person just to keep the nickel shined and polished. Because I remember they used to work for hours and hours on that, and there was some kind of a stuff in a tube that came in like a toothpaste tube that they used to yeah. use, but they spent hours and days trying to get that car ready. Yes, yes, and... Uh, you know that twenty-six Pierce Hour that we did too was that everything on that was nickel too. Uh, Us, yeah, and it was uh, <laughs> that was hard keeping that looking nice. So to to get the nickel plating, I know the copper plating and the nickel plate and chrome plate over that. But right. who does that? Who does that now? Uh, there's there there is just a few people that that still do that the nickel plating, uh-huh. and. There was uh, a- yeah, there's very few people that do good repair work. So most of the stuff that we send out, we'll have out, send them out and have it strip the chrome off back to the bare metal. We'll do the repairs and then send it back to have it done. Yeah, because I know if you have any imperfections in the metal after you put the nickel on it, those things right. show right up. It, yes, and ten times really worse, yeah. 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 And it was so to have company, yeah. So to have polished nickel, uh, it really takes a lot of work. There was a company at that time called Qualcomm. I think mm-hmm. it was somewhere in South Florida. Uh, are those people still in business? Do they still do that? Uh, no, no. Uh, they're they're still not in business. There's a company in right now in uh, there's a company in Alabama that that does top quality work, and they. Of course, it's hard to get it in and get it out because they do work for everybody in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, well, what was interesting is well, back when I worked for that company, uh, this uh, businessman he he thought about having his own uh, chrome plating shop 
along mm-hmm. with a brass uh, a, yeah. a brass foundry to where some of these parts that they couldn't get they could make. So I went up to um, Birmingham, Alabama, and I got a tour of a foundry up there. And uh, the, one of the biggest drawbacks, and this is true for the chrome plating now too, is the environmental concerns that they have. Because yeah, in, the, in the bronze, they, they have lead that's involved in that. And it was interesting. They showed me where they had this, the, the sand castings, where they had this stuff piled up. And the EPA made them dig this gigantic hole and line it with clay and something else. And they had to move, I don't know how many thousands of tons of this uh, waste and put it into that, that hole so that it wouldn't leach into the soil. Yeah. <laughs> and, and which made it almost an uh, impossible thing to get into that business. And on the yeah. chrome side, on the chrome plating side, uh, one of the chemicals that's used in chrome plating is cyanide, right. and uh, which we know how bad that is. And uh, you run a serious risk with employees of poisoning, plus serious burns. Cyanide will burn uh, if you get any of it on your skin. It causes severe burns. So because of the environmental concerns and how do you treat the waste that comes out of a, a shop like that, it's not practical for anyone to get into that business. Right. And a, and a few of the few of the shops that are still in business that, that do quality work are kind of grandfathered in in, you know, the, the state or county they're in, and they're, and they're still in business. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a dying breed, too, where they're going to have to send it out of the country to have it done eventually. Well, that's sad that we have to send it overseas. Well, maybe now, we, now with Trump, he's bringing all these businesses back. Maybe we'll get to do some of that now. That's right. That's right. But um, uh, any other cars that really stand out? Uh, uh, the, that, speaking of that 1912 Cadillac, whatever happened to that one? That actually was sold. That was actually sold to somebody here in Florida, uh, down, in, uh, down in the Sarasota area, that has quite a few cars. When I say quite a few cars, I think he has like 25 real nice cars, so that's... That's a good collection for a home collection, anyway. And, and I know, and I know he, he actually had... was going to tour with that. I don't know if he has, but I do know that uh, he was going to take it on uh, the tour. Because he, he he actually did a few of those, uh, what is it, the Red Rock? Red Rock tour? Mm-hmm. You know, that one? And the Glitton tour. But he has done a few of those. He was going to take that car on one of those tours. But he never did. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he did actually take it on there because uh, that's what he was getting it for. I think he it had, had to be. Uh, I think the tour had to be 14 and older, correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's what he bought but, the car for. He had some other Cadillacs too that were back there in the teens. Did he have a 16? Uh, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, he also had the. Uh, I don't know if you remember the. Uh, he had the 16 Pierce Arrow, which that was one the, I did. That, yeah, that one I didn't know about. Okay, okay. Yeah, he had that, uh, which was which was a really nice car, also. And uh, most most people didn't want to buy it because they couldn't tour with it, being a sixteen. So, uh, yeah, that well, was a nice car. Well, he had he had another interesting vehicle, and I picked it up. It was up in Rochester, New York. It was actually a nineteen seventeen Cadillac that was converted to a wrecker. And 
that was interesting because I had that on the trailer, and on the way back to Florida, I must have had to talk to 500 people. Everybody asked me what it was, mm-hmm. and everyone was amazed that it was a 17 Cadillac. Right. <laughs> and you could look at the front end and tell it was a Cadillac. Yeah, absolutely. So whatever happened to that one? Uh, we actually sold it. Uh, we actually uh, pulled the engine on that and went through it and, and cleaned it up, uh, put a time and chain in it, got the engine started, and, and actually sold it. But believe it or not, that thing started right up with a, a good cleaning, some new rings, and a time and chain. <laughs> wow. I, I used to really enjoy picking up cars for him. Uh, I picked up uh, out in Wichita, Kansas one time. I picked up a... Uh, I think it was a 1926. It was a REA Express a Model T truck, and uh, I had to talk to 500 people across the country with that. Every time I stopped, everybody wanted to know what it was. Yeah, right. It said Ra- Railway Express down the side of it. Railway Express, and that car ended up. I have an attorney here in Central Florida, and that car ended up in his collection, or that truck ended up okay. in his collection. Very good, but. And he was amazed to find out that I was the guy that brought it here. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, there's still a few good cars out there, uh, out west, sitting around. But uh, today's restorations just cost so much. People like a turnkey car now that, uh, you know, they they like to just walk in somewhere and say, I want to buy that car and, and pay for it and be able to drive it. No right. one likes to wait three, four years for a restoration anymore. Nope. Everybody wants it now. I have a wife that wants everything now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and the way things are done today, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, co- the cost is up, so uh, it takes a little longer to do it, too. Because <laughs> you don't uh, have as many people working for you, you know. Un- understood. So... Uh, we're coming up here almost on the end of the show. Just wondering if there's anything else, uh, any other cars that you want to talk about, or any pointers that you can give to the listeners. Well, uh, I guess to the home listeners, uh, if you can learn a little bit how to do some of it yourself to save some money, uh, you know, uh, some of the guys have deep pockets that just just say do it. Uh, there's not a lot of them. Most of the guys are uh, just like you and me that uh, want a real nice car and, and don't have uh, $250,000 laying around to have it fixed. Uh, learn to do it a little of it, you know, a little at a time by yourself and uh, go from there. Right. So is there any kind of school or any place a person could go to, to gain knowledge on restoration? Is there any place that does any of that? You know, I don't. I don't think there is any any sort of trade schools anymore. Uh, I know there's not here in Florida. Uh, I don't know about up north. There, there could be. Actually, uh, if I can butt in here, yeah, there are, but they're generally universities now, where you can get a, a very rounded education at Alfred State. Uh, you got a number of them uh, up uh, in Pennsylvania okay. and so forth. With that being said, Rick, I want to thank you for being on America's Web Radio and. James, Absolutely. for for you jumping in and and um, filling in for Jim and Steve, and uh, we'll be back next week. You'll be back next week with another great guest, and we look forward to that as always. So, take care, y'all. Have a good weekend, and uh, 
We'll be back on the Classic Car Show next week. Take care. Okay. Thank you, Dave and James, for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.